All right, let's get started. All right, so we are talking about X1 and X1E instances and scaling in-memory workload to up to 4 TB of RAM. Um, my name is Pranav Parekh. Uh, I'm product manager in the EC2 group, AWS. I'm Stephen Jones. I'm a director of solution architecture focused on enterprise workloads like SAP, Microsoft, Oracle, and VMware Cloud. What we're hoping to do today is uh, talk a little bit about the EC2 portfolio, dive deeper into the X1 and X1E instances, which are purpose-built for large in-memory workloads, and then pick one specific in-memory workload uh, that a lot of our customers run on X1 and X1 instances, which is SAP HANA, and then dive deeper into how SAP HANA can be optimized and run on X1 and X1 instances. Should we pull the audience? How many of you are uh, X1 customers today? Have used X1? All right, excellent. Um, how many are, are uh, thinking about using X1 instances for SAP workloads? All right, this should be interesting. All right, so uh, I'm sure many of you are familiar with uh, Amazon.com. It's a small retailer based out of the uh, Pacific Northwest. Um, we, uh, we were applying many of the concepts that we developed over the years as we scale that business to IT infrastructure. Uh, I won't go into a lot of depth here other than uh, we have global capacity um, ranging in a lot of different uh, machines and services, uh, which for now we'll go into here in just a moment. Uh, one, one of the key characteristics of the AWS cloud is that it's, it's built entirely the, the same way every region that is. Um, uh, there's global scale, it's built and operated, it's all um, available through API, so it can be orchestrated, and we'll get into some specifics, even for very large in-memory workloads like SAP. Um, it's feature-proof, meaning S uh, SAP customers, enterprise customers uh, can actually build and plan for starting with small workloads and scaling to very massive workloads, and we'll talk about what that looks like here in just a moment. Uh, but everything we do really starts with customers, very similar to what you experience with Amazon.com. Um, even our portfolio and roadmap, so the, the very uh, idea and development of this, this platform uh, with the X1E system up to four terabytes of RAM, with a lot of memory in a single system, uh, was actually designed and, and built uh, based on customer demand. Uh, customers often think uh, when, when they approach the AWS platform that it's just about compute storage and uh, networking. There's a vast array of, of a broad set of, of services that goes very deep uh, as well into each of these services. Um, most often we hear from customers that they, they would rather not focus on things that aren't differentiating to them, right? And so we develop services around um, not just compute storage and network, but also new interesting services like IoT, machine learning, deep learning. And I think um, there's, there's many great sessions uh, that, that avail you this week. Um, Again, uh, there's a lot of opportunities for you to learn this week. We encourage you to attend as many sessions as well. So at this point, I'll, I'll turn it over to Pranav, and he'll talk a little bit about the platform. Sure. Thanks. So with that, uh, before we dive deeper into the X1 and X1E instance platform, let's talk a little bit about the Amazon Elastic Compute Cloud, also known as EC2. Um, a lot of customers think that EC2 is essentially virtual machines and you can bring your workloads and run there. That's true, but EC2 also offers a plethora of services around that. Uh, and that makes it really interesting when uh, running large mission-critical in-memory workloads. 
so first, uh, it actually allows a, a, a series of different purchase options. That means you can run your instances as on-demand instances, or you can purchase reserved instances. Uh, it offers a choice of different instances, different sizes, different instance families optimized for different workloads. Um, there is also a series of uh, networking services. So things like virtual private cloud, things like Elastic IPs, and a lot of other things that makes the overall networking portfolio suitable for running uh, a lot of different workloads. Uh, and then user experience. So uh, API, SDK, CLI, uh, portal. So overall, the platform allows a lot of different uh, categories of workloads and a lot of different use cases to be built on the same overall platform. So with that, let's talk a little bit about the instance families. So when we started EC2 in, in 2006, we started with one instance. Uh, we eventually called it M1. Uh, then we realized that there are a lot of other workloads and a lot of other use cases um, that don't fit well into that M1 instance family. And with that, we started launching different instances optimized for different workloads. Today we have general purpose, compute optimized, storage and IO optimized, uh, accelerated instances, and memory optimized instances. Um, what these instances do is it allows you to pick the right infrastructure for your workload. Uh, if you go to the uh, documentation and look at all of these instances across all of these generations, it might look a little bit overwhelming. But the best way to conceptualize this is look at your workload and see if your workload is uh, constrained by compute, memory, storage, or something else. If your, if your workload is constrained by compute, that means you might want to start with the compute-optimized instances that offers you the best compute capability. If you have a workload, which, uh, for, uh, for example, your in-memory workloads, uh, that is constrained by the amount of memory you have in the, in the system, uh, then you might want to start with the memory-optimized instance. And once you pick the instance family based on your, your workload, then within that instance family, you have the ability to select different sizes and figure out what size actually works well for you. And the flexibility that the platform provides around selecting one size, deploying your workload, and then moving that to another size seamlessly makes it risk-free in terms of trying a specific instance size or a generation. So today, we're going to specifically talk about the X1 and X1 instance family. So this was just the background to, to make sure that we're aligned in terms of what we are talking about today. So talking specifically about X1 and X1e instances, um, these are optimized for large in-memory workloads and other memory-intensive workloads. We had a lot of customers running in-memory workloads on our four instances. Uh, and then we got feedback that we need higher memory. We want to scale our memory beyond what our, what our three and our four instances offer. Uh, so we decided to build this X1 instance family, uh, specifically for in-memory workloads and specifically for in-memory databases like SAP HANA. Uh, as we started talking to customers, we realized that there are a lot of other use cases where it, where it actually provides a lot of flexibility and, and optimization. Uh, specifically around big data processing, um, like uh, uh, Apache Spark uh, or Presto, 
uh, in-memory analytics. A lot of our customers are running in-memory uh, analytics workloads so that they can analyze the data in memory in real time. Uh, and the smaller X1E sizes, uh, which start from uh, uh, X1E X large size, also allows a great solution for running high-performance enterprise-class databases uh, like Oracle and SQL. So overall, uh, these two instances, they provide a really good collection of infrastructure uh, for running memory-optimized uh, and memory-intensive workloads. So let's, let's dive a little deeper into the X1 and X1E platform. Both of these instances are built on the same underlying compute platform uh, with different memory profile. That means the underlying server that serves these instance sizes uh, has the common compute architecture, but it provides different memory footprint between X1 and X1E. The key difference between X1 and X1E instances is the CPU to memory ratio. The X1 instances offer roughly 1 is to 16 vCPU to, to memory ratio. So as you can see here, uh, for 1 TB of memory, you get 64 vCPUs. So X1 instances offer two sizes, 1 TB of memory and 2 TB of memory. X1E instances, on the other hand, uh, they provide uh, much more memory for the given amount of CPUs. So considering that it's the same underlying platform, it still offers the same 122 vCPUs, uh, but offers 1 is to 32 uh, vCPU to memory ratio. And we have total six X1E instance sizes, starting from four vCPU and 122 gig, going up to 128 vCPU and four terabyte. Uh, specifically about the CPU uh, and, and, the, the, and the compute platform, we th this, this particular platform is purpose-built for highly resilient, mission-critical uh, in-memory workloads. Uh, we chose the Intel E7 CPU, uh, which is optimized for enterprise-class database workloads. Uh, it offers uh, Intel AESNI and TCX, um, it also enables the Intel AVX2 technology, and it offers high memory bandwidth uh, and SDDC1 that overall allows high resiliency and high performance that is really required for large in-memory workloads. So with that, let's look at the spec. This is the, 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 the specification overview of X1 and X1 instances. In terms of vCPU, memory, local storage, uh, networking bandwidth, and storage bandwidth. Uh, this is really important because as you look at your in-memory workloads, you want to make sure that the, the, the transfer of data between storage and memory and the other application traffic that the in-memory workload will serve uh, can be realistically addressed by any platform that you select. And we have put in a lot of work to make sure that we address the demands of the most demanding in-memory workloads. So what you can see here is the X1 platform and X1E platform, they both support up to 25 GBPS of networking bandwidth. They also support up to 14 GBPS of dedicated bandwidth to Amazon Elastic Block Store, which is EBS. Uh, what is important to note here 
is that we are able to improve the performance of network and storage in real time. That means once we launch these instances, we are actually able to bring improvements to the networking and storage performance. So to give you an example, when we launched the X1 instances last year, uh, we launched them with 20 GBPS of networking and 10 GBPS of dedicated storage bandwidth. Uh, when we launch X1E this year, we also brought performance improvement for network and storage for X1 in real time. And when that happens, we make it available to the existing customers. And this is the innovation that we have brought through our uh, elastic network adapter uh, that allows us to uh, offload the networking stack from the hypervisor into the physical hardware for networking. And then it allows us to essentially uh, make improvements to that networking stack uh, without requiring a totally different instance hardware. Uh, so we'll continue to bring improvements uh, in, in this instance specification. So let's talk a little bit about the underlying compute platform. It's a, it's a four-socket Intel E7 platform. The 128 vCPUs are served by 32 vCPUs per socket and 976 GB of memory uh, per socket totally gets you to the four terabyte of RAM. When we started building this, we put in a lot of effort to make sure that we can support NUMA-optimized workloads and we can provide high memory bandwidth uh, and low latency while accessing distant memory. We have done exactly that. Um, we work very closely with SAP to make sure that the, the, the SAP HANA workloads uh, and the performance requirements are met by this platform. That's exactly right. We did a lot of testing to make sure that latency from remote memory uh, was actually optimized for the HANA workload. Uh, that it required some tuning, obviously, at the hypervisor level to make sure HANA, which is NUMA aware, um, could actually see the, the correct topology and the right pinning. The other thing that we did is we, um, we actually leveraged a homogenous and symmetric placement of DIMMs across each of the sockets, again, specifically to make sure that we have the correct bandwidth throughput and latency from a memory perspective. So this is the largest memory available on EC2 today. Uh, and this is the compute platform that also serves the smaller memory sizes. So we talked about the specifications, but specifically for this largest instance size, it offers 4 TB of RAM. That means you can scale up your in-memory workloads, uh, for example, SAP HANA, up to 4 TB in a single instance. You don't have to start with one terabyte instances and then scale out. Uh, if your workload supports scale up, you can scale up up to 4 TB. Uh, it offers 128 vCPUs, uh, which in our experience uh, is a lot of compute for these kind of workloads. Um, and right now we're shipping with 25 GBPS of uh, elastic network adapter and 14 GBPS of dedicated bandwidth. Also very important, we also have local SSD stores. This is non-persistent storage uh, just like your local storage in the server uh, that's available to these instances. With that, 
let's talk a little bit about storage. So, so let me ask a question. How many of you are over-provisioning storage today uh, in your on-prem environments? Over-provisioning either in terms of capacity or in terms of IOPS or throughput or any other metric? Yeah, exactly. So when we, when we think about running large enterprise in-memory workloads, uh, we also want to make sure that we provide an environment that allows the most optimization, not in terms of performance, but also in terms of flexibility and cost. Um, we have a lot of different choices in the Amazon Elastic Block, Block Store EBS product. And what this allows is essentially a collection of storage portfolio or storage services that allows you to start with one particular storage volume type and then select the right volume type as you change or evolve your workloads. So specifically, both, by the way, both of these instance types, X1 and X1E, are EBS optimized by default. And for um, anyone who is not familiar with that terminology, that means we have dedicated network pipe going to EBS uh, for these, both of these instances. Um, so we have two, two main categories of EBS volumes, uh, SSD-backed and hard drive-backed. In case of SSD-backed volumes, we have provisioned IOPS, uh, which allows uh, guaranteed uh, consistent IOPS performance. And we have general purpose uh, SSD volumes, GP2, uh, which essentially allows, uh, which provides uh, general, which provides enough IOPS for general purpose workloads. So when we launch IO1, uh, we allowed customers to select how many IOPS they want, and for that IOPS, we provided consistent performance. Uh, based on the years of uh, understanding the customer behavior and workload behavior, we realized that most workloads uh, can work with a certain number of IOPS. And based on that understanding, we also launched the GP2 volume that allows uh, most workloads to, to get the sufficient performance at a, at a reasonable cost. Now, if you have, uh, if, if your workload is more throughput optimized and if you have large block IOs and serial IOs, uh, then you might want to also consider the ST1 volume, uh, which provides very similar throughput profile compared to the IO1 volumes, uh, but at a, at a more uh, optimized price point. Um, the SC1 volume is essentially the coal volume uh, that allows uh, multiple different use cases like backup uh, or, or, or log volumes, which are not really required uh, to have large amount of uh, IOPS. So with that, let's move on. When we launched the EC2 instances, one of the key features that our customers loved was the ability to spin up and spin down uh, on demand and have the elasticity as they need. And we heard a lot of feedback that the customers would like the same level of elasticity from the EBS volumes, and we provided exactly that. So now with EBS, you can resize your volumes, uh, you can change your volume type, you can select the volume characteristics uh, live without affecting your workload or without affecting your per workload performance. So that means you can start with, let's say, GP2 volume. Uh, and once your in-memory capacity increases and you want larger capacity to match the, the, the in-memory capacity, uh, you can just increase your volume size or add new volumes in real time. At the same time, um, 
if you really think that now you're moving from test dev or QA type environment to more production focused environments, you can also move from one volume type like GP2 to another like IO1 to guarantee certain IOMs uh, without actually uh, creating a downtime for your, for your environment. So this really allows you the flexibility of selecting the right storage workload or st right storage infrastructure as and when you need it, instead of trying to deploy everything that you might need in future. So this takes the risk of future growth planning uh, away, and this essentially allows you the ability to start small, start with what you know today about your environment, and then grow and, and evolve as your workloads evolve. Can I give an example for now? So consider in-memory databases, right? So the idea is to run most everything in memory, right? So there's typically uh, a long duration to load four terabytes of RAM, um, and the, the, the single constraint often is throughput at the storage layer. Um, in-memory databases are typically optimized, at least startup, uh, startup, at the startup time, to actually use large block sizes. So one thing we've actually seen customers do is leverage the IO1 volume type, which offers up to 320 megabytes per second today. Um, for heavy uh, I.O. operations uh, that, that are typically required for, from in-memory databases. And then for normal operations over time and steady state, they'll actually change volume types to GP2, which is more on the 160 uh, megabytes per second range, if that makes sense. And you can stripe multiple volumes together uh, because the EBS volumes, essentially on the back end, we do, we do uh, mirroring of those. So. And with that, let's also talk about some of the companion services. So let's assume that you have the right infrastructure in mind at EC2. You know that your workload can fit and, and run on uh, the EC2 X1 and X1 instances just like it would on your on-prem infrastructure. But it's not just the apples to apple comparison in terms of the memory or CPU or the storage capacity or the storage performance. EC2 also provides a lot of other services that collectively make the experience a lot more optimized for large enterprise workloads. Uh, we specifically want to touch on the three different services that we think are really helpful to customers running uh, in-memory workloads. One is auto-recovery. Um, this essentially means that if your instance goes down for some reason, um, you can, it will automatically boot another instance apply all the characteristics of the instance, like instance ID, your IPs, elastic IPs, and your storage volumes to the other instance, and then it will boot that instance. So essentially, this is, your, um, this, this, this is how you can get the resiliency uh, without worrying about your HA plan or DR plan. If you're running a production workload, you might very well have an HA instance running all the time. Uh, uh, that's exactly what you might do on-prem. But here, <clears throat> you might not want to do that if you can uh, work with the EC2 recovery and the kind of RPO and RTO it provides. So essentially, you can uh, select a lot of parameters and you can create a CloudWatch alarm and set up EC2 recovery, uh, auto-recovery. And when your instance goes down, the other instance will come up and uh, you, you will have your instance up and running. Same way with auto-scaling. Um, when customers run in-memory databases on X1 and X1 instances, uh, a lot of the front-end applications uh, run on a lot of other different instance types. And we've seen that these front-end applications are highly scalable. 
that means with demand, uh, these applications scale exponentially over time. And with EC2 auto-scaling, you can take the risk of growth planning uh, out of that equation. What that means is you can dynamically add new instances or remove instances uh, based on your workload condition. You can select policies, like you can say uh, that when my CPU utilization goes to 75%, I want to spin up a new instance. But when it comes back down and it goes below 40%, uh, I want to uh, stop one of the instances. So you can have that dynamic uh, addition or removal of instances based on your workload demand. And the last one is elastic load balancing. This really works well with the auto-scaling feature where uh, you can balance all the incoming traffic and, and connection into the, uh, the, the instance uh, across multiple instances. So if you're running multiple front-end servers that are connecting to your in-memory database that's running on uh, X1 or X1E instances, then you can use elastic load balancing to make sure that your, uh, as you scale your workload using uh, auto-scaling, uh, you're also balancing your connectivity uh, to, 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 to that workload. So with that, uh, I want to turn it over to Steve, and we want to talk about one specific in-memory workload so that we can dive deeper into how we have really optimized this platform for these kind of workloads. And we want to talk about SAP HANA. Yeah. So uh, before we dive into some of the specific use cases around SAP HANA, I want to back up just a bit and, and tell you how we actually got here, right? So. Uh, um, we started with SAP back in 2008, right? AWS started in 2006. SAP was one of our first customers in 2008. Uh, really doing some interesting things back then. Um, and we, we started looking at being able to support mission-critical workloads back then. So we've, we've got a long history at being able to support uh, these, these type of systems. But you'll see here, uh, as time went on from 2008 through about 2012 or so, um, we were working with SAP to really understand what it meant to, to support these types of workloads and taking a lot of those learnings from early customers and actually baking them back into the platform, taking those requirements um, and then building new, new additional offerings. As Pranav mentioned, our first instance type was M1. The first instance type we had certified for SAP was M2, M2 2X large. I think it had about 32 gig of RAM back then. So we've come a long ways since 32 gig of RAM up to four terabytes. Um, what you see here on this timeline here is a whole bunch of SAP solutions, uh, SAP Mobile, uh, HANA Developer Edition, S4 HANA. Um, and we really uh, pivoted from certifying SAP solutions to actually building purpose-built equipment, right? We've pretty much largely certified all the SAP solutions to, to be run on AWS today by customers. And now we're actually focused on building purpose-built equipment for SAP. And the funny thing is that um, just as many uh, customers are running non-SAP solutions on X1 and X1E uh, as customers are running, are running SAP. And that's, that's, uh, that's a fascinating thing for us. You'll see SAP2 at the, at the top part of this curve is now actually also building some of their platforms on us that take advantage of these, these large memory platforms. So you can see kind of the, the velocity uh, of, of this investment, uh, both in, in people, resources, and platforms, right? We could have taken an off-the-shelf equipment and put it in a colo facility and connected it up through Direct Connect um, and had that as a solution, but 
When we went to talk to customers, this was not the, the experience they wanted, right? They, they told us they needed flexibility uh, across pricing, purchasing options, as well as deployment vehicles, and, and they didn't want um, um, something that felt a, a whole lot different, if that makes sense. So it, it took us a while. It took us actually about two years from idea. We started working with SAP on kind of what the requirements would be uh, if we were to go build this ourselves, and then we went and built it ourselves. Um, there was a lot of testing uh, to make sure that a lot of the features that Pranav was talking about were actually working. I mean, there was a hypervisor. It was highly tuned and optimized to make sure we were exposing the right instruction sets. Uh, again, the NUMA uh, aware capabilities and those, those types of things. And so today what you see is a very broad set of certifications for SAP HANA. So today we can support, uh, as, as we've indicated here, up to four terabytes in single scale-up systems. We also completed work that will allow us to, to support very large distributed clusters of SAP HANA systems up to 50 terabytes. Now, I have to be honest, there's probably not a lot of customers out there that need 50 terabyte clusters, but there are some. But what this does show is that uh, it's very highly capable from a platform perspective. Every single individual node has the same discrete amount of CPU and memory and, and networking and storage uh, at scale, right? And so you can actually stitch a whole bunch of these together and get some really astounding performance. Just to give you an idea, uh, a benchmark we recently completed uh, with this 50 terabyte cluster, um, we loaded 40, almost 47 billion records into this database. It was a very massive uh, amount, of, amount of data. All right, so uh, here, and for now, I actually mentioned that we have a, a number of different compute instance families. We have also optimized our certification work with SAP uh, for instance families that are applicable for SAP workloads, right? So we see customers often using the R family instance types for database servers, right? So uh, a lot of databases, SQL Server databases, DB2, uh, Oracle, being run underneath SAP systems today. And then obviously the higher memory instances for uh, workloads like HANA. There's also a lot of application servers as well, application tier. Like Pranel mentioned, so we've, we've done a lot of work in benchmarking very large distributed SAP systems uh, that both comprise what SAP calls a three-tier landscape with a distributed set of application servers and a single database instance. Most often we find customers using the C family for the application server tier and the M family um, often in non-production environments. Uh, for those of you that are SAP geeks in the room, um, you'll, you'll understand the, the term SAPS. So SAPS is a, is a benchmark metric it's a, it's a metric that uh, equates to basically a throughput of uh, what SAP calls SD benchmark documents or SD, SD documents, and it's the number of documents that can be pushed through uh, a given system in a 15-minute in a, in a uh, time frame. So um, we benchmark these so customers can actually size these uh, and go through the normal SAP sizing mechanism. Sizing is important, um, but it's okay actually now to get sizing a little bit. Uh, it can be a little bit off, and I'll explain why that, why that is in a moment. Um, we talked a little bit about the technology platform. I want to dive a little bit into some of the automation that we've done, specifically around SAP, but that's also applicable to other in-memory in database workloads, other work workload types as well. And then I want to talk a little bit about some of the programs we're helping customers uh, as they look to migrate some of these systems. So how many of you have heard of AWS Quick Starts? Excellent, excellent. So quick starts are automated reference deployments for many of the key workloads that our enterprise customers are running uh, on our platform, right? So across a whole litany of uh, use cases, uh, pick Microsoft, for example. So 
If a customer wants to deploy a, a very large distributed SharePoint farm, like is often the case, we have a single button deployment that actually deploys that in a highly available manner across availability zones using the proper architecture uh, for resiliency and high availability. Um, there's a lot of other quick starts. Today we've built actually more than 50 of these. And the idea is that the feedback from customers were when they're coming to our platform to run some of these, these uh, very mission critical workloads, they would often spend a lot of time researching just what the right architecture pattern would be. And we'd spend a lot of time with them, right? Being customer assessed, we want to make sure they're gonna be successful, right? So we've done a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, these are all based in uh, CloudFormation. So CloudFormation is uh, essentially a, a scripting language based in JSON where all of the AWS components uh, can be orchestrated in a single JSON template or multiple JSON nested templates and then fed into our, uh, our CloudFormation uh, tool in essence. And we, on the back end, we'll parse that and we'll actually orchestrate the infrastructure. Um, using uh, code, we'll actually inject uh, parameters on the fly and, and orchestrate much of the provisioning of the software stacks um, that, that go into quick starts. These are free. Um, we don't charge for these and they're really available. So we have some for SAP, including SAP HANA. Um, customers actually today will pay tens of thousands of dollars to have an appliance vendor come in and install a HANA appliance in their own data center. Uh, these, these are typically single rack or multi-rack, depending on if it's single node or, or, or scale-out configurations. So they can be very complex uh, to fit into a, into a data center and, and, and to rack and stack. Um, so again, we've done a lot of the heavy lifting. We can orchestrate the entire setup from initial VPC design, uh, standing up the instances, attaching the proper storage configuration that's, that uh, adheres to SAP certification guidelines. We, turn the, we tune the kernel, we install HANA, um, and all the various things that go into actually making this run really, really well. If you already have a VPC, this is something we can also leverage. So it's just an option, and I'll show you this here in just a moment. You can deploy it into an existing uh, environment and, and then hook it into your, your current application stack. We've also developed uh, what we call uh, the NetWeaver Quick Start. So NetWeaver, for those that aren't familiar with SAP, is the application stack uh, that most of the SAP modules run on top of, right? So uh, customers who are running ERP are running on a NetWeaver application server, right? And so we've automated the entire setup of this application server as well. Again, in a highly available manner so that working, uh, customers actually wanting to deploy this don't necessarily have to, uh, again, go through all the motions and trying to figure out what's the best manner in which to do this. Our solution architects have done uh, a lot of work in working with customers and have baked this into the, the quick start here. Um, customers with SAP workloads often um, have varying workload profiles, right? Some are batch heavy at, at different uh, times of the month or uh, some systems are just architected differently depending on uh, if it's a different industry or vertical, right? And so. We start with some t-shirt sizing, uh, workload types, but customers, by selecting some of the parameters, which I'll show you in the quick start here in just a moment, can actually optimize the, the actual deployment. So let's actually uh, dive into this now. I'm gonna ask you to strap in just a bit, uh, because the, uh, the, so the HANA quick start itself, end-to-end uh, -end runs about 30 minutes, right? Um, so I'm not gonna make you sit here for 30 minutes to watch the HANA quick start. The, the NetWeaver uh, quick start end-to-end -end runs about three hours. I'm also not gonna ask you to sit here for three hours and watch that either. So what, I, what we've done is we've recorded it, we've cut it out, we've cut out the, um, 
uh, a lot of the processing steps, the software installations, you can actually see what the process looks like. So let's dive in here. So like I mentioned, this is based in CloudFormation. So I'm going to go into the CloudFormation console. You can actually navigate to this from the Quick Start microsite uh, on the AWS homepage. Actually, I'm going to start it now. There we go. So we click into CloudFormation. Uh, again, it's a single template. It's a very long template with a, a list of uh, parameters that, um, that outline exactly what we're going to be deploying. Uh, here, I'm actually going to paste in a URL that has a link to the template. Again, this is not necessarily something you have to do if you navigate to from the, uh, from the AWS uh, homepage. Um, here, we're going to actually just give the stack a name. All the resources that get created with this, this uh, CloudFormation template, this Quick Start, will be tagged with this name so that you'll actually be able to identify the resources that were created uh, along with this. Um, we've actually separated some of the parameters that you can, you can define into logical groupings. So this first set of groupings has to do with uh, networking, the infrastructure. So here I'm actually selecting availability zones where I want to actually distribute my, my application tier. I'm going to choose two for a highly available architecture. Um, you can see here I've uh, outlined the VPC CIDR block and subnet um, CIDR ranges as well. For the HANA server and storage configuration here, I'm choosing SUSE Linux um, 12 SP1. Here I'm actually passing in or actually naming uh, the HANA server itself, this will actually be pasted or, or uh, passed into uh, Cloud Init, actually, as we uh, do the deployment. I'm choosing a two terabyte instance, X132 extra large. I'm choosing to deploy one. You can actually deploy clusters, as I indicated earlier, of SAP HANA systems. You can choose to enable encryption of the EBS volumes or not. Uh, I'm going to use the GP2 storage volume. Uh, you can choose IO1. And remember, you can change this on the fly after the fact. Now, we don't have distribution rights for SAP software. So customers, as customers, you need to download the software and place it into an S3 bucket or a location of your choosing. You just need to tell us where that is, and then we'll orchestrate the software install for you. And this is all done within your account. So it's not like we ever have access to that software. Now I'm into the SAP application tier cluster setup. Uh, I've chosen an operating system there as well. I've turned on EC2 auto recovery. Uh, so in case there are any failures there, it'll automatically just recover that for me. I named the host. For those of you that know SAP lingo here, I'm, I'm able to set things like the system number, the system identifier. Again, completely customizable. Um, we use uh, Systems Manager uh, Parameter Store to actually securely store the passwords. So the passwords that you set in here are passed into the Parameter Store for secure handling. Um, similar thing with the software for the NetWeaver stack. Uh, you just need to tell us where you, where you put it. And you can actually choose whether or not to install the SAP software or not. If you, if you want us to orchestrate that for you, we'll absolutely do that. But if you just want us to set up the infrastructure, um, you, can, you, you can select no. We have some auto-scaling capabilities, uh, as Pranel mentioned. And uh, this, this actually allows you, again, to turn on auto-scaling uh, for the application tier, if that's something you would like to do. Uh, you can choose how many application servers you want to auto-scale um, up to, and um, the, the, the workload type, whether it's uh, dialog, which is um, dialog is, is typically um, user, user heavy, right? user interaction heavy, or batch. Um, we deploy an RDP instance, so you can remote desktop into this uh, working environment. We also uh, provision a, a Linux bastion host for secure SSH access as well. 
I'm going to tag this uh, SAP demo. Again, uh, this tag will actually uh, be applied to all the resources that, uh, that get the pr provisioned uh, so that you can actually go and, and search for, for resources. So here's a long listing of all the parameters we just entered, right? I'm going to hit the, the magic create button. And this is where we've, uh, we've pulled out a lot of the timeline. We're in the, the console here. You can see that we're creating uh, a, lot of, um, a lot of resources. Um, here, what we've done is we, we've actually split up each of the uh, creation scenarios, the Honda database, the actual VPC setup and creation, the application server, uh, into different stacks. So you can actually take this, customize it uh, as you see fit, um, use what you like, um, and throw out what you would like as well. Um, here you can see that end-to-end, uh, -end, uh, the process itself took just about three hours. Um, so again, I didn't want to actually put you through that, but you can see that, um, that we can actually orchestrate a lot of, of infrastructure configuration in a, in a very short time period. These are the, the actual virtual machines that were created, including uh, the HANA master there you see is the uh, two terabyte instance. We've got our Linux and our Bastion server. So what I'm doing here is I've actually remote desktop into um, the Windows server that we deployed, we installed HANA Studio so we can actually look and see um, the resource utilization for HANA. Here you can see I've got just about two terabytes of RAM uh, for this uh, X132 extra large instance. Uh, the, the HANA uh, host name was actually passed in correctly. Uh, you can see that we're, um, we're using SUSE Linux as we, as we selected as well. If I go to the landscape tab, you, these are all the various uh, HANA services that are actually running at the operating system level and it is exposed up through the HANA Studio. For those of you that know SAP, I'm going to log into SAP GUI now since we actually orchestrated the install of the SAP application server tier as well. So here I'm logging in with uh, SAP user DDIC. I'm going to navigate to a traditional transaction that uh, SAP basis administrators use, DBO2. I can take a look at the database profile and uh, usage from within the SAP application. So if we just look at the overall area here, again, you can see from within SAP, um, we're, we're actually running on a two terabyte instance as well. Also from within, within SAP, you can see that all the storage configuration, all that has actually surfaced up into the SAP application layer as well. So your basis administrators who are used to actually administering SAP systems from within the SAP application, all that information is still exposed uh, into the SAP application layer as well. So let's, uh, let's just dive into maybe a real-world example here really quickly. So we had a customer, Fairfax Media, based in uh, Australia. So they started with, uh, with us on, a, on an instance type R3 uh, when they went into production with their VW environment. And they started with what they thought was reasonable, right, a 244-gig instance. Uh, within six months, they quickly realized they were outgrowing this. Uh, at that point, our next um, instance family, uh, instance type that was available was the two terabyte instance. We had not released the one terabyte instance uh, or, the, or the R4 half a terabyte instance yet. Uh, so they quickly scaled up using uh, a simple stop-start exercise, which we'll show you here in just a moment, and it took them less than an hour, right? So consider what this would actually to look like in an on-premise world, right? We're looking at potentially data migration or significant downtime to have a hardware vendor come in and, and stick additional memory in a, in a system if it would accommodate that. So it's a, it's a much different uh, value proposition. The customer is actually taking advantage. 
Fernando, you want to talk just real quickly about uh, sure. how this works? In that exact process that Steve just described uh, and how it would actually occur uh, in an on-prem environment, uh, working with vendors, selecting new hardware, migrating your workload to the new hardware, that would be a totally different process uh, and a totally transformative one in EC2. So let's say you are running your SAP HANA workload, or for that matter, any other in-memory workload on X1 instances today that offers uh, one terabyte and two terabyte of memory. Let's say you start with one terabyte of memory. Uh, now you realize after six months that you're running out of memory and you need more memory capacity. How do you move to a larger instance, let's say to a four terabyte X1E instance? It's pretty simple. You turn off your application, you shut it down using your standard uh, console or API method. Uh, then you go to the console or to the same API, and you can change the parameters of that instance. You can change the instance to the new instance type, which is, let's say, the four terabyte X1E instance. And then that actually maps all the instant attributes from the old instance to the new instance, including your storage volumes and your IP addresses and everything else. And then you boot that new instance, and then your SAP HANA is now running on four terabyte instance. It's that easy. The whole process was completely uh, in the background, and the application was completely agnostic of what just happened. Because as far as the application was concerned, nothing really changed in terms of the instance parameters and IP addresses and storage volumes and all those things. So this allows you the flexibility to start small, not overspend, uh, and then optimize later when you really know that you're going to need that more memory capacity. It works the other way too, right? So we have customers all the time that go through standard SAP sizing processes, and it's often overestimated. And so they, they go through a migration process, they end up landing on a four terabyte instance, and they're like, I really only need two. So they can actually scale back down the other way. So let's show this to you. This one's super fun. We're back in the SAP system now. Remember, we, uh, we provisioned an X1E32 extra large, uh, sorry, an X1 32 extra large system with two terabytes of RAM. So what we're going to do, I'm going to actually leave SAP up here. And I'm going to go, I'm going to SSH into, I'm going to go through my Bastion host. I'm going to SSH into the HANA database server. Um, so I'm going to switch users to the database administrator user. Uh, we're just going to take a quick look here. Uh, to make sure we're on the right system. Okay, this is my two terabyte system here. Um, you can see here that uh, it's, it's roughly two terabytes. We do a quick process listing. You can see the HANA is up and running. HDB info shows me again the process tree, which we saw within HANA Studio just a minute ago. I'm going to stop the database using HDB stop. And that's all I'm going to do on that instance. And I left the application server up and running. Now, SAP customers, obviously, we're going to use, do, a, do this during a maintenance window, but I want to show you what the effect is of what we're doing here. So now I'm back in the AWS console. I chose my HANA system uh, using the X1 instance. I'm going to stop it here. And this is about a two to three minute exercise. Uh, so it doesn't take much time at all. We wait for this to stop. And then once it's stopped, again, I can either issue an API call uh, or I can just choose off the actions list here change instance uh, state, excuse me, settings. So here I'm able to choose any number of instance types, right? <laughs> There's a lot of them. I'm gonna choose, I'm gonna scale up this time. I'm gonna go up to four terabytes of RAM. 
Just say apply. Again, that's all I have to do. From here, I'm just going to say action start. And then again, wait for another two to three minutes. It's that simple. So at this point, I've not done anything with my storage volumes. I've not had to migrate data. It's just all coming uh, along with um, this, this, this metadata that comes with my instance, right? It's, it's automatically in, uh, mapped in the control plane. So you can see here, we have uh, the instances now up and running. So I'm going to actually log back in. Let's take a quick look here. You see it's up and running here. So we're back on the Bastion host. I'm going to SSH back in now that the system's back up. I'm going to switch users back to the database uh, user. Let's see how long the system's been up. Okay, so it just booted, so it's not been up for too long. And now we're going to actually see how much RAM is available. Ah, look at that, just about four terabytes of RAM. Now we've actually, as part of the orchestration process for HANA, uh, for HANA as part of Quick Start, we have set some auto start parameters uh, so that HANA automatically starts after uh, a system boot. So you can see it was up there. I'm back with an SAP, which again, I left up, if you remember. I'm just going to hit the refresh button here. You can see that immediately from within the application, I can see my database server now has double the amount of RAM there with four terabytes of RAM. So similarly, uh, I can actually do uh, volume extension, right? So let's say I need to uh, extend my volumes because the size of my database I expect it to grow. I can issue API calls as well to, uh, to extend those storage volumes. So I want to talk just a little bit about uh, some programmatic stuff that we've been doing with SAP as it relates to moving these mission-critical databases and helping customers do this. And it's a combination of uh, this, this program as well as tooling. Um, a lot of customers have questions um, about HANA and if it's right for them from a timing perspective. Um, I don't know how many uh, people are aware that, um, uh, in essence, we've got um, uh, a tool that SAP has had over the years. It's called DMO for system, this system move, excuse me. Prior to just recently, it used to be that if you were going to migrate an SAP system on any database to HANA, it would actually require close proximity, right? So you would have to have some sort of hardware in your data center in order to accommodate the move. So working with SAP, we're actually able to now extract or, or uh, dissect the, process, the extract process from the import process such that uh, we can do some interesting things and we can automate a lot of this. And this is part of uh, what we call the, the, the rapid migration program or FAST program. And the idea is to help a customer experience a copy of their production system on AWS in, in record time uh, so that they can get answers to questions like, what does my ECC system look like on top of HANA? Uh, does my month-end process run any faster? Um, and help make that business case uh, for when it makes, makes sense for them to actually move. Uh, we've done this with a number of customers now. Uh, just about three weeks ago, we finished a customer that had a 25 terabyte source system. And they migrated it to a five node scale-out cluster for HANA on AWS, X1 30, uh, 32X large cluster. 
the, the actual migration time took us about 42 hours uh, end to end. So highly optimized. Um, we've had some customers with single node systems in the two to three terabyte range. We've been able to actually get that down to about 29 hours. And we're learning that we can actually parallelize the export and the import process uh, at the same time. So this is a, a program that we're actually working together with SAP, our professional services, and our also training partners on how to execute this program for customers. So here's just a high-level diagram on how this works. Um, the DMO for System Move is actually SAP software that any SAP customer has access to. It comes with their, their SAP licenses. It's not something that has to be paid for in addition. Uh, this can be deployed on-premises uh, on a spare application server, or it can actually be deployed on AWS. Um, uh, it doesn't, doesn't really matter where you put it. Um, as the export is occurring, you can be spinning up the infrastructure on the target side using the quick starts. The other thing that's really interesting with DMO for System Move is that it's actually converting the system to a HANA format as it's being exported. Not only can it convert the system to a HANA format, it can also upgrade at what SAP calls enhancement packs or versions, and it supports going all the way back to very old R3 versions. Um, now, obviously, there's the import then on the, on the target side. So this is happening, right? There are a large number of customers, SAP customers, running their workloads. In fact, there are thousands of SAP customers running SAP workloads on AWS. And there are hundreds of SAP customers, uh, enterprise customers, running SAP workloads on our platform. In fact, in the, 24, in the period from 2014 to 2017, the, um, the compound annual rate was around 45% of, uh, of customers adopting our platform for SAP workloads. Uh, you'll see and recognize uh, many customers up there like Bose, um, Hoya, Zappos, BP, um, doing, doing big things. Uh, running SAP on AWS, there's some subtle nuances to it. Uh, so we've actually put a lot of effort into documenting um, a lot of this, this work uh, and, and, and how to actually make this, this, uh, this more streamlined. And so you'll, you'll find a lot of information on our microsite uh, about this. Uh, there's the information about the FAST program and how to get hooked into that. Uh, and get started there as well. Um, we've got instance pages directly um, uh, attributable to X1 and specific information around that. For now, anything else you want to add? No, so we have really good technical documentation. So apart from these pages, uh, feel free to go to the uh, AWS tech docs and you can find a, lot, find a lot of information around not just X1 and X1E, but the entire EC2 platform and all the different services that we talked about. So. With that, uh, we would be here uh, and outside in the hallway. So if you have any questions, reach out to us, talk to us. Uh, we'll, we'll hang out here for a while. Yes, and thank you for coming. Thank you.